This is Prairie Room Companion, episode 40, recorded February 2nd, 2011. Found in translation. Welcome to This Week in Prairie Room Companion. I am your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I am Father Andrew Dickinson. Back once again, Father. You know, it's getting a little spotty here, Father, on your uh, your hosting duties. I'm I'm concerned. Well, I, I really think I need to re-examine my priorities <laughs> and make sure that uh, Prairie, Ho- uh, Prairie Roam Companion is uh, job number one in the midst of my weekly schedule. And so maybe I should talk with the, His Excellency I, uh, Bishop Swain. About I was just going to say, I'm sure that he would completely agree with you. So... Anyway, uh, good to have well, you. This would actually dovetail it nicely. Uh, my niece, who lives in St. Louis, when it was cold there one time, you know, we've got snow and blizzards going over the place right now here on the second uh, of February in 2011. But my niece once requested that uh, I should be assigned to be their personal chaplain, so that way they wouldn't have to go outside to go to mass. <laughs> this is in St. Louis where they live. Like it's cold there, so yeah, yeah. It's frigid in St. Louis. Very good. Well, uh, one quick programming note that I want to mention to the listeners, and I, I mentioned to Father beforehand. Um, we're recording on February 2nd, the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord, uh, Candlemas. Uh, the next two Wednesdays, the 9th and 16th, Father and I won't be recording. Um, we will be unavailable, unfortunately. So, um, um, yeah. can, can I just make a clarification? No. <laughs> Go ahead. I would be available. Yes. Let you know that my priorities are set. I would be available these next two weeks. And if I only understood that technology. Um, I guess I was speaking with the royal we there, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I won't be available for the next two Wednesdays. So so unfortunately, if, if Father could podcast, record podcasts, no, no, I still wouldn't let him do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You are a wise man. Oh, a wise. Yeah. Surely way, you ha- you are a doctor of philosophy. Oh, yeah. By the way, Father, I should have said Happy Feast Day. Uh, the uh, the what the unofficial conclusion of the Christmas season uh, in the sense of at least in the the old liturgical calendar, and some people still still follow that. So it is no matter where you are as a, as a Western Catholic, today is the last day of Christmas, no matter what. The poetic end of the uh, uh, Christmas season, maybe? That'd be a good way to put it, I, I think. So So anyway, um, speaking of liturgical calendar, Father and I thought we might talk today in, in today's podcast about the new translation of the Missal that we are going to be uh, to be using starting um, the, well, next Advent, in the, the new liturgical year, the next liturgical year, which will start, I think it's Sunday, November 27th, um, uh, 2011. So um, in just, what, Ten months. Ten, ten short months. We'll be using um, this this new translation, uh, and and so Father and I thought it might be a might be a good topic for a podcast uh, for an episode of Pray Rome Companion to talk about it. So so Father, what the, the new translation of the missile? What what sort of like uh, the 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 primer to use a word from a past episode? The primer. What's uh, what's your fact? What's your frequently asked answer to the frequently asked questions? When somebody says, "Father, what's this all about?" What's wh- what do you? What's your take? Um, my take is, you know, uh, it's the first time that we translated 
published a translated version of the Mass in Golly G a really long time. You know, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you know, we had uh, at the very least 500 years that the Mass has been officially promulgated in an official translation. And so maybe we want to try and look at things a second time. Yeah, I think you that's know, maybe, Now that we've put it into practice, now that we've used it, maybe it'd be worth going over. Yeah, so some people, some of our listeners might remember, some of you, like both Father and I, weren't even alive at the time. Um, 1969 was when uh, many of the post-Vatican II uh, changes, the reforms to the Mass, were implemented. Um, and there was uh, an English translation that was used uh, for uh, the the official Latin text. And and to be clear, as, as Father sort of alluded to it, um, the missal, the prayers we use at Mass, um, the, for for we as Western Catholics, uh, there's there's Eastern, Eastern Catholics, there's Western Catholics, Latin Catholics, whatever you want to call us, um, and and for us the official language of the Church is Latin. Um, and and so we have the Latin Missal. The Missal is that big book that the, that Father and the other priests of the world uh, have on the altar. Uh, it's got all the prayers. Um, the Missal actually has the prayers and the readings. We tend to split into two books. The Sacramentary has the mass, the biblical readings. The uh, sorry, the Lectionary has the readings from the Bible. The Sacramentary has just the prayers, um, and so the priests use that uh, on the altar. Uh, well, actually, if I could just jump in there. Yeah, right uh, I think altar boys everywhere are happy that it's not combined. Yeah. <laughs> uh, altar servers everywhere are happy, so they only have to hold up, you know, maybe you were ever an altar server you were sitting at home, and uh, you had to hold up the big heavy book, and uh, you're probably happy it's not a combined one. Exactly. So, exactly. So, so that, That's not a good reason to not have a combined <laughs> not a bad reason to have a split. Exactly. So, so th- that's what the missal is, or the lectionary is. It's it's the prayers for the mass. Um, and what we're talking about, what's 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 going on now? We have the the Latin edition, the Latin version, the official Latin text for the prayers. And this is going to be only this. I think the second uh, translation uh, done of the official Latin prayers. The, the first six, 1969, the second since Vatican II. Um, so it's been over 40 years since we had a, a Latin trend, an English translation of the Latin text. And, 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 and really in America, isn't that far too long? <laughs> uh, I mean, America, you think we'd be, we'd be clamming for a new translation every year. Be nice, Father. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah. So. Sorry, America. <laughs> So that's what the, that's what this is. It's a, it, it, sometimes people will shorthand. They'll say the new the new missile. Technically, it's not a new missile. The missile is the same. This is a new English translation of the missile. Uh, and, and there are a few things I think just sort of general principles to to mention, and then we can get into some of the distinctives. Um, one is the the Vatican has been very clear that uh, there's going there's they want one English translation for the world. Um, the in 1969, there were there were there were translations done, but there's there's an American English translation, there's an Australian English translation, there's a, a United Kingdom English translation, all these different translations. The Vatican several years ago said we want one. Father, you gonna say something? Yeah, um, I I think maybe the astute listener might ask, well, yes, Doctor Bergwell, but have you ever been to England? Have you ever been to Australia? They simply do not speak the same English as we do. 
I mean, wasn't it uh, Winston Churchill who once said uh, that the American and the Britons are two people separated by a common language? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. But uh, I think a good answer to that is, you know, part of uh, the concern in Rome, it isn't uh, some Italian speakers, some Latin speakers trying to force something on the English world that doesn't fit English speaking reality. But um, it's a concern that in, especially in third world, uh, the church in the third world, in Africa, Asia especially, where they don't have Latin scholars uh, to look at things as often just because of the mission situation and other needs there. And oftentimes they'll look to the English translation for things. And so this is another reason why they want um, a unified and an authentic uh, English translation of the Latin. Well said, Father. And that, yeah, I appreciate that reminder. It's it's not, yeah, it's not just trying to impose uniformity where there, because there isn't any, as you noted. Um, but there's a larger, uh, I don't know if a missionary purpose is so much in mind. Certainly a pastoral uh, reason, reason behind it. So, well, and it's, it's a reason for us, but also a reason for the whole world. And we'll talk about the reasons for us a little bit as we go into the translation. But just keep in mind, too, that there's a larger universal church that has some needs, even of the English translation, even if they don't use it in their country, per se. Exactly. And the, the, other, the second point that I want to make in this regard um, is, is the difference, sort of the fundamental difference which drives a lot of the decisions, uh, the differences between the, the, the translation we're using now and the one we'll be using in 10 months. Um, terminology alerts! Terminology, terminology exactly. Wah, wah, klaxons, uh, red lights, all that good stuff. Uh, the terms are dynamic equivalence versus literal equivalence. What does that mean? In, in the in the nineteen <laughs> in the nineteen sixty nine translation, um, there was a school of thought when it came to okay when you when you're translating from one language to another, uh, the, the 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 philosophy that was sort of in vogue in terms of guiding that process how you do it was called dynamic equivalence, whereas wherein you want to sort of translate the concepts, the the meaning that's being expressed in a particular phrase. So you're not so much concerned about translating a word for word; you're trying to translate idea from one language to another. Uh, and then that was seen actually in biblical translations as well. You know, the, the one that we use, the translation uh, that, that we use in the Mass, the New American Bible, uh, officially commissioned by the U.S. Catholic bishops uh, in the seven, late 70s and published in the 80s, I think, um, follows to some degree the, the same philosophy, dynamic equivalence, trying to translate the concepts, the ideas, more than the words. However, uh, over time, um, in, in numerous circles, uh, that 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 philosophy of translation was seen to have some weaknesses, and therefore, in the church, uh, officially, the church expressed her desire and stated that uh, going forward, uh, we're, we're supposed. To, we are to use literal equivalents, where you're more translating word for word, and not 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 in such a way where it becomes difficult uh, and unintelligible in the the new the language in which to which you're translating for us English, but but trying to be more faithful to what the text actually says. And as we'll see when we get into some of the differences, um, that's important because there, there's a lot. There are a lot of nuances, a lot of allusions in the Latin edition of the the missal that are lost in our current translation, but that will be sort of rediscovered uh, in the new translation. So, so trying to 
to be going back to, a, in a sense, a more faithful uh, a way to translate, um, a more faithful uh, philosophy for translation is another is another uh, one of the key differences uh, with this text. So I've been talking a lot, Father. Any general comments, or do you want to just get right into some of the the new translation texts? Yeah, I think just maybe one comment. I'm sure there might be some people out there that would argue um, whether or not it's a better way of translating. And I think that's what we're going to find out, though, you know, is we're going to use, um, we haven't used maybe this more literal equivalency uh, version of translation. Uh, and we're going to now enter into that literal version, tra- that literal, uh, what do you call it, literal equivalency as opposed to the dynamic equivalency. Right, exactly. And so hopefully that should give us just a better sense uh, of things going forward. And um, yeah. sure that's, that's, what it's, that's, that's all i got to say about that. Okay. Okay. So, what I tell people too when I when I've been talking about the new translation, and to be clear, um, faithful, the, the bishops are very mindful. Our bishop, Bishop Paul Swain, but the bishops of of the U.S. in general are very mindful of trying to prepare uh, Catholics in our country for the new translation. You know, one of the critiques that I've I've heard and read often about. Um, how the reforms of, of Vatican II were impl- implemented in 1969 is, is that maybe there wasn't enough preparation. Now, who knows? That might be perception. It's you know, neither of us were there. Who knows? It's hard for for, the, for you, Father, you and I to say at least. Um, but what I do know is that uh, our bishops today are very serious and very intentional about trying to do what they can to prepare people as much as possible for it. So it's not completely new. Uh, very much so, and I and I know like for my here up here in my town, Brookings, the uh, the full parish uh, in town, the pastor's been just putting little things in the bulletin, even uh, going back to last September. Right. Um, myself, um, you know, I'm uh, haven't done anything official yet with um, the uh, with the students here at the Newman Center, but you know, going to be starting to do that. Uh, especially probably next fall. Knowing students' attention spans, I think. <laughs> next fall, that's like the next century. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so they're my, very mindful of that, and and they're they're uh, preparing or, or 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 planning at least the, the preparations. Um, I have I just heard today actually that uh, it, you, it's possible it'd be possible, Father, for you uh, to pre-order the the missile. Uh, our, our liturgical master of ceremonies, uh, Nathan Knudsen, mentioned that to me this morning, actually, that um, liturgical training publication, LTP, or liturgical training press, who's doing, apparently, at least one of the publishers, um, they, they you can pre-order it. I think October 1st or something like that is when they'll actually be printed and sent out. Um, but that's, that doesn't uh, sound very pre to me. <laughs> you can pre-order. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm going to have to, though. I mean, that, that's actually an interesting aspect of things that people don't think about is the expense to parishes. Yeah. I mean, because a missile, uh, and by the way, just in case anyone from uh, the government's listening to this podcast, that's M-I-S-S-A-M. <laughs> this, this podcast is being flagged as we has been flagged. Yes. Up. So uh, just <laughs> the black helicopters hovering <laughs> outside my window. Yes. Uh, M-I-S-S-A-M. M-I-S-S-A-M. Uh, how much these missiles will cost to perish? 
So there are, yeah, that's a good point. And and just for to answer that question specifically, uh, what, what Nathan was saying, there are three different versions of them. Um, they're publishing the the missile. Three, sort of one is the smaller, the seven by nine ish dimensions wise, um, and that I don't. I don't like maybe a hundred bucks or less. There's a slightly larger one that's a little bit nicer, something like 175, and then the Regal edition, which will be 500. Um, but that's definitely something to keep in mind: is that um, your parish will be incurring the cost of of one of these missiles when they are available. But it is a good investment. Yeah, absolutely, and it should last us for many many decades, hopefully. Um, so anyway, one, but one, one of the things I tell people uh, about this, the new translation, is frankly, <laughs> the people have it easy. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be it's going to be different. But Father, you and and your brother brother priests have much. There are greater a greater number of changes, more significant change. Well, I don't know what more significant. There are certainly more changes for the priest than for the people. Without a doubt, um, and this. One of the things that's actually been available, although not in the missile form, so you can't really look at it in that format, has been the text of the Eucharistic prayers and other what we call ordinary prayers, prayers that are, that are said every Mass. And those have been, so I understand, locked in and official now for a couple of years. And so I've had them in PDF format that I downloaded from the United States Bishops Conference. And very excited to look at those. But that's, I mean, I just remember reading some of these things aloud, and you get used to them. I mean, you're a priest, uh, you pray them so often. I can't imagine being a priest uh, who has been ordained 40 years, you know, probably ordained right around 1969, 1970. And, you know, he's been saying this Mass now for 40 years. And uh, now to do a different translation, it's going to be uh, a bit of adjustment. Yeah, I, 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 thought about, I mean, my pastor was ordained. He, this, he'll have his 10th anniversary this summer. Uh, and... Um, no, he's gotten into the habit of he just he knows the prayers well enough where he rarely actually looks at the missal for the Eucharistic prayer. Uh, obviously, that's going to change for him um, for a while at least come November. Yeah, and I think uh, Bishop our own Bishop Swain here was saying that's actually kind of a good thing because as Catholics, it's good that we know the prayers. As Catholics, sometimes it's bad that we know the prayers. Exactly. Yeah, I, I just had a couple of meetings this last weekend, and, and I, we were talking about some of these things um, that that the, knowing the prayers, knowing what you're going to say, allows me to enter into it more. I don't have to. This is what I tell people a lot about liturgical prayer, uh, where it's consistent. So the ordinary prayers, as you mentioned, uh, I know what you're. So during the liturgical or the Eucharistic prayer, I know what you're going to say. I may be able to enter into it um, in my mind, my heart, and so on. I'm not having to listen and then trying to understand and internalize it and make it my prayer and then catch up to where you are. I'm able to enter into it as you're saying it, um, which is a good thing, but sometimes familiarity, unfortunately, can breed contempt, and I just tune it out because I've heard it for X number of times. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I think that's right, that with the new translation, it can um, remind us, hopefully uh, make us more attentive uh, to the actual texts. So, so anyway, so, but I, again, I think that as priests, you have it a little more difficult. I, one, there are two particular um, uh, 
differences between the trans, the old and the new translation that that I refer to, uh, and then I'll get out of the way. And I know Father has some he wants to talk about. One is at the very beginning, uh, the, the the after the opening hymn or the entrance antiphon, the priest greets the people uh, with one of three greetings. One of them being um, well, the, and, and for the people, it's the same response, um, and also with you is what we've been saying for over forty years. But the new translation is and with your spirit. Uh, and and um, Father and I were talking about this before we recorded. Uh, one of my points within that regard is people, it, it's a biblical illusion. Uh, in one of St. Paul's letters, that's a greeting that he makes, uh, the Lord be with your spirit. Um, it, it's not saying, uh, it, it's not sort of some theological thing about body versus soul. Um, it's it's just a biblical illusion uh, that's lost. And Father, I know that you have a point on, on, on this particular uh Correction or new translation um, of, of that prayer, that response that you make as well. Right. Um, so on that one, I've experienced the mass in a couple of different languages uh, from international travels. In fact, I remember I was in Assisi a couple of summers ago and went into a church to pray, and there was a group of German youth uh, praying the Holy Mass and hearing them exchange the greeting. I don't remember what the priest says in German, but of course, you know, the Lord be with you. And they responded, Ut mit deiner Geister. It just kind of hit me right there. That's because I was already thinking about this change. You know, they're saying, uh, you know, you might literally translate that as, you know, geist, the English word ghost. Right. And we talk about the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. Ghost. Um, and then in Spanish, having said the Mass in Spanish a couple times, you know, Señor con vosotros. The response is, y con tu espíritu. And so other languages in their translations reflect that pay attention to reflecting that specific point with a deliberate notion. So I think it's a good thing for us to do that as well. Right. And the Italian is the same. And to be clear, it, it, there's a biblical illusion, and that's in the Latin. Et cum spiritu tuo uh, is the Latin text. And so, uh, again, there's a biblical illusion behind that, but but it's, it's a more faithful translation of the Latin text reflecting the biblical illusion, which which is behind that. And and the second example that I often point to comes just before communion when the priest says, uh, Behold, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, happy are those who are called to his supper. The people respond, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Um, that's the translation we use now. The new translation is, Lord, I am not worried that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And the first part of that, Lord, I'm not worried that you should enter under my roof, uh, it's, an, again, a biblical allusion to the, the story of the centurion who comes to Jesus, asks Jesus to heal his servant. Jesus says, all right, let's go. Let's go. Uh, I'll go to your house and we'll hear your servant. And the centurion says, no, Lord, I, I'm not worried that you should enter into my roof. Only say the word and my servant shall be healed. So really... Our, our the people's response with the apart with the, the the difference with the exception of my soul instead of my servant is almost an exact quote from what the centurion says to Jesus in that that narrative from the gospels so again more faithful to the Latin and behind that uh, the, these rich biblical allusions will be much more apparent to us it's great it's always great to be more biblical especially for us as Catholics and and you know, the, the mass is beautifully biblical. Um, you know, a lot of converts have said that where, you know, they mentioned in the church and found how beautifully biblical the Mass was. And so I think it would be good uh, to highlight that and bring that out. I've got a couple of pet uh, examples myself um, that I like to share. One of them that someone pointed out to me, I wasn't aware of this in the Latin, 
Um, but in reading over the prayers, one of the things I was struck by with the Eucharistic prayers is that there's much more adjectives, mm. much more descri- descriptive language that we just don't have right now. And uh, someone kind of highlighted that for me. In the Mass right now, when uh, after the priest uh, elevates, uh, uh, our father elevates uh, the, um, the precious body, makes his genuflection, and he goes to take the take the cup or the chalice. Um, and it says, uh, uh, right now it says, he took the cup. Right? In some ways, he took the cup. Um, in Latin, apparently, this goes, and I'm probably going to uh, butcher the Latin because I don't speak it very well. Uh, but in Latin, this phrase that's translated, he took the cup, goes, Achipens et hunc precularum calicum in sanctas ac venerabilis manas, manus suas. So there's what, you know, ten words there that gets translated down to four words. Right. He took the cup. The new translation says, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands. <laughs> right. And so you see... Uh, it's almost, it's almost comical in that sense. Um, yeah. But, I mean, yes, dynamically, you know, the, the equivalency of that phrase is he took the cup. And part uh, of the – sorry, just one quick thing there. Father. I mean, that, the, 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 the idea was we as Americans, we're very efficient, we're to the point, we're direct. We don't go for all this flowery language. That's more the Romance language, like Latin, right. like Italian, like Spanish. But – And here in America, we get her done. Exactly. Right. And so um, the other thing I like about it, too, is one of the things I found somewhat maybe frustrating at times, you know, like I'm training altar servers and I tell them, bring me the chalice. Like, what's the chalice? Bring me the chalice. What's the chalice? Well, the cup. Oh, OK. You know, we, we refer to it as a chalice so often. And the, but the prayers just would refer to it as a cup. And so I think it'll be fun to use words like that. Um, vocabulary builder in some ways. Um just in the ordinary parts of the Mass, a fun little thing that kind of stuck out to me in uh, some of the proper prayers, prayers said on certain feast days. <clears throat> on the Feast of the Mother of God each year on January 1st, I love preaching about how um, we we say things about Mary because of Jesus. You know, we don't say things about Mary because we're obsessed about Mary in some way. We say things about Mary because of what we believe about Jesus. And the Feast of the Mother of God is a very important one that way historically. Am I right? Yes, you are, Father. Yes, I am. And uh, because uh, that feast, that title, Mother of God, has to do with the fact that, you know, we what we do about the nature of Jesus. And there's this, ancient, uh, there's this ancient struggle that this feast refers to where Mary was referred to as the Theotokos or the Christotokos. Theotokos meaning the Mother of God in Greek. Christotokos, meaning the mother of Christ, the mother of the Christ, in some way that Jesus isn't the same, that there's a time where Jesus wasn't God, essentially what they're saying. And uh, so I always love preaching about that, but then I always forget that the after communion prayer right now uh, talks about Mary as the mother of Christ and uses that phrase, which is like, oh, I just preached against that. Now the prayer uses that phrase. Now, I mean, maybe I should change my preaching. (laughs) <laughs> but in the Latin, but but in the Latin, it doesn't call her uh, the mother of Christ. It calls her the mother of your son, mother of your son. And so I feel like I'm on good grounds there. And maybe the translation was uh, a little unfortunate. Yeah, I think with I mean the examples we're giving, um, 
And frankly, the new translation will be a better translation. I'm, I'm pretty unabashed about saying that. I mean, we would we wouldn't be doing it if it weren't better. I mean, we we and and you know, it was it was done. It hasn't been updated in over 40 years, and, and there's nothing wrong with with trying to improve upon the previous translation. Uh, it's not to say it was evil or anything. Um, it's just this is a better translation. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, too, just to think about it in terms of um, it's this opportunity to grow, an opportunity to be more deliberate about our faith, uh, more exact about our faith, to re-examine some of these things that maybe we take for granted. You know, I think sometimes I hear, I hear some people really – uh, this really, on one hand, I'm befuddled by it, but I, I guess I do know what's going on. People are, some people are really concerned, or really worried, or really, frankly, upset about the new translation. And I'm just, it's just, it's a new, it's a better translation of the mass prayers. But what's often, I think, going on uh, behind that is a fear on the on the parts of the people making these comments, on the part of the people making these comments, a fear that this is the. Uh, this is just the beginning of a return to 1950. Um, all Latin all the time. Um, priest with his quote-unquote back to the people, that kind of thing. And, and say what you will. I mean, I, you know, you and Father, you and I have our, our thoughts on, on perhaps ways that the Mass could be, the reform could be reformed, as some people put it. But that's, to some degree, that's, that's not the point. That's not the issue. We're talking now about, all we're talking about is a better translation of the official prayer, the highest prayer of the church, the highest prayer in the world. Yeah. So. I agree. So, so chillax, people. <laughs> this, this is not the beginning of the end. Uh, you know, well, I, I, speaking, definitive, or re- referring to our Holy Father in particular and his predecessor, JP two and and Pope Benedict. Uh, are both were both strong proponents of the reform of the mass that Vatican II called for. Now, both of them had issues with how that was implemented, but the, the point is there, there was not on the part of J- John Paul II, there's not on the part of Benedict XVI to take us back to the bad old days, as some people uh, think they were. Uh, say what you will about uh, the mass as it was said before the council, that's not what Pope Benedict, at least, is is, is leading us towards. So, yeah, I think it's important to get that in there. So, anyway, uh, Father, any Just relax and go along for the ride for this linguistic, <laughs> uh, spiritual journey. Exactly. So, any any closing, any final thoughts, Father? You want to make in this regard? Uh, encourage your priests. You know, if your parishioners listen to this, uh, encourage your priests as they go through this because this might be a tough uh, transition for them. And so try to encourage them maybe with um, some prudent excitement or uh, if it seems like maybe they're having a hard time with it, just some gentle encouragement or even just prayers for them, you know, if you don't know the right way to encourage them. Uh, And because it's a great opportunity, again, for us to be more deliberate and uh, 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 prayerful in the exercise of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Absolutely. Well said. Okay. So that's it for this week. Uh, again, we'll be back in three weeks, recording again on the 23rd of February. In the meantime, God bless and have a great month.